Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we inspire you to build a life of purpose and joy. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence. I'm your host, Julie Clough, certified life coach and grief specialist. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 74 when it's your fault with Melissa Snow. I have an interview for you today. I think you're going to find this really interesting. Today at lunchtime, I spoke to a women's group. It's so fun to be with a group of women. I love it. I love it. I just, I just had the best time sharing with them some thoughts about loss and grief and, you know, how to manage the day to day. Cause these are a group of women who are working. And it's tough. It's tough when, well, you know, it's tough when you have something bad happen and you still have to get up and go to work and figure out how to pay the bills and so forth. So anyway, can you hear my dog barking in the background? She's like barking in her sleep. I don't know what's going on, but anyway, hopefully she'll stop. Otherwise I'm going to send her out of the room. Also, we have another webinar coming up. We just had our first webinar last week, and it was awesome. Again, I just love being with you guys. It's just so fun. And that was, it was amazing. Everyone had such great questions. I think I told you last week, it was, it was off the charts amazing. And this next month in April, we have another webinar coming up, and it's going to be the first Tuesday of April, which is the 7th, April 7th. And so you can register for that in the show notes. It's in the show notes and we'll have a, you know what, I'm going to set up a early bird special. So if you get on that right away, you can get that for $19. It's regularly 27. So we will let you know in the show notes how to, how to get in on the special for $19. Anyway, that's happening April 7th. Super excited to be with you guys again. Share new information. It's our series, Healing Body, Mind, and Spirit. It's going to happen every Tuesday, first Tuesday of the month. So super excited to have that happening. Every single one of them will be different. I am excited to introduce to you Melissa Snow. She's my guest today and after her own bad boundaries, you'll notice the name of the episode when it's your fault, when it's your fault. And you're going to hear her story and what happened. But after her own bad boundaries and lack of self-worth nearly cost her everything, Melissa had to rebuild her life from the ground up. And like all of us, she had to learn how to find joy again, how to find happiness after such sadness, how to find gratitude after despair, and how to build a life after loss. I'm going to tell you a little more about Melissa. In 2016, Melissa Snow became a certified life coach so she could help other women who were just like she used to be. Since then, she has written a book, called 10 Secrets to Having the Love You Want. She has spoken on international stages and is a frequent contributor on Bustle, Mind, Body, Green, and Simple Must. Most. Sorry, Simple Most. She has also been featured on multiple podcasts, including Embracing Intensity, The Inspired Women Podcast, Live Fearlessly, and Journey of Hope. Melissa loves her nieces and nephews, Mexican food, hot yoga, dad jokes, reading, and anything pink and glittery. 
She does not like seafood, daylight savings, or snow. Melissa's long-term goals include opening a cat cafe and petting all the dogs. Here's the interview. Well, today I have Melissa Snow with me. I'm super excited to talk to Melissa. She has some great things to share with us today. So, um, which is not always the, the right way to introduce someone talking about their grief story, is it, Melissa? <laughs> I mean, it's it's not the happiest fairy tale, but it's real life. It is real life. There's few people in this world that escape loss and grief, isn't there? Absolutely. Well, Melissa, why don't you start us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself and and kind of um, why you're here, why we're talking. Absolutely. So um, my history, I was a high school teacher in 2008. My my grief story is a little bit different than most people's, I think. Um, I was a high school teacher in 2008, and I was 27 years old, and I ended up having what I at the time considered a relationship with one of my students who was 17. And um, I was arrested. I lost my job. I lost my home. I lost most of my friends. Um, I lost a lot of hope. I lost a lot of um, joy and happiness for many, many years and then had to figure out how to rebuild my life. So, um, you know, grief for me was the result of my own bad choices, um, but that didn't make it any less painful for me. Absolutely. It's so true. And, and even when our grief isn't about our choices, sometimes we make choices after the fact that create even more suffering. So tell us a little bit about like when we were talking before you were telling me a little bit about why you think this happened the way it did for you. Well, it's interesting because if you would have asked me before this happened, what's your life like? Are you happy? I would have told you, oh yeah, I'm so happy. You know, I'm living my dream. I have the job that I always wanted. I'm surrounded by friends. Everything is so fun. Everything is so great. But on the inside, I was kind of in denial about how unhappy I was. And I wasn't aware of how little I loved and valued myself. And so it wasn't just in this situation, but in a lot of other relationships that I had that I can see looking back that I was always just looking to feel like I was good enough. I was always wanting to feel like I was valued, like I was worthy, like I was loved. And I didn't know how to give myself those things. And so I was always looking for it in relationships with other people. And so um, then there was this person who wanted to tell me how important and beautiful and special and wonderful I was all the time. And that was exactly what I needed to hear. And I was so desperate for that, that I figured out how to make it okay in my mind that I was getting it from whoever I was getting it from. Mm, interesting. So how did, how did you, like you mentioned, you know, that you lost so much hope and joy what did that look like? Like what, what did your, what did your look life look like when you had lost this hope and joy? 
You know, I believed for many years after this happened that my fate was kind of sealed, like that all my choices had been taken away from me and that I would always be defined and my life would always be limited based off of this terrible thing that had happened. And I remember writing in my journal about three months after I was arrested, I still have the journal and I wrote something along the lines of, how will you be able to go on? How will you ever be okay again? And how will you ever find someone who wants to love you? And I really, really believed that was true for so many years, that all of my power had been taken away, all of my choices had been taken away, and this would always define how happy, how successful, how loved, how good of a person I could be. And you know, there were times for years that I I didn't think that I would survive. And there were certainly times that I didn't want to. And um, I wasn't trying to rebuild my life. I wasn't trying to become a better person. I wasn't trying to do any of those things. I was just trying to get through the day sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you were living a life of just pure existence. Yes, absolutely. And self-pity. There was a lot of self-pity mm-hmm. in there as well. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And I, you know, and and I know that your story is so unique and so painful. I, you know, I can't imagine. I I can I can I can actually imagine how you could think that way. Like I, you know, this thing has happened and it has, like you said, sealed my fate. And how does anybody come back from this? And, you know, but even, even our listeners who have totally different losses, you know, have that experience about like, you know, how do you come back from this? How can there possibly be hope and joy again? So what was the turning point for you? Yeah, that's a really good point because, and that's part of why I share my story so openly is because I know there's not going to be a lot of people who hear it, who can relate and are like, oh yeah, I did that exact thing. (laughs) Um, But I feel like we've all had at least one point in our lives when we really believed nothing will ever be okay again. Mm -hmm. And I always want people to see me as an example of what's possible and know that if I can go from that to the life that I have now, that it's possible for other people too. Um, The big turning point for me was I met another coach and um, she was, I was in a class and we were going around the room and everybody was finishing the sentence, I would be happy if only. And so the other women were saying things like, I would be happy if only I lost 20 pounds, or I would be happy if only my husband wasn't so obnoxious or whatever it was. And I remember thinking like, what am I going to say when it comes to me? Because I couldn't Mm -hmm. possibly tell the truth in this room full of strangers. And then all of a sudden there it was coming out of my mouth. And the teacher looked at me and she said, this is the truth that I need you to see that the problem is no longer that you did this awful thing. The problem now is the story that you are continuing to tell yourself over and over about what that means about you and what that means about the life that you can have. And that was really the first time that anyone had told me in a way that I was ready to receive that I still had a choice. Mm 
that whatever meaning I gave to this thing that had happened was entirely up to me and that I didn't have to let it limit me. I didn't have to let it define me. I could choose something different. And that was huge for me. Wow, that is huge. You know, I just actually did a podcast episode not long ago about the power of choice. Like choice, like we we sometimes, like you said, like we give our power away. We don't even recognize that we have choices. We we just don't even see the choices that are right in front of us. We just we just go through this life automated on the stories that we've told ourselves. And when we upgrade our story, we upgrade our life. So how did that change things for you? What happened after that? After that, I got a lot more motivated to figure out who I was and what I wanted and where things had gone so terribly wrong that I was able to convince myself that what I had done to this boy was okay. Um, And I just wanted to learn as much as possible about how I ended up in this place so that I could be sure I would never end up here again. Mm. And to really get honest with myself about where I was before this happened and where I was now and figure out where I wanted to be in the future and then what obstacles were going to get in my way and how to overcome them. But it was so much easier to get motivated once I knew that what was at the end of the tunnel was up to me. Because when you're in the tunnel and there's no light and there's no end and you don't believe that you're ever getting out of it, why would you even try? But then all of a sudden there was this person saying, you know, it's actually entirely possible that you could get out of the tunnel. And so then I was like, okay, tell me all the things. Like whoever knows how to get out of this tunnel, I'm listening. I'll do it. Just tell me what to do. And, uh, you know, and that was kind of in all areas of my life. It wasn't just like I got in this self-improvement, self-development, I want to know about myself and be better. But it was also like I had this job at a law firm making copies for $12 an hour. And I was like, how can I create a life out of this? And so I just became like the best copier they'd ever seen in their lives. (laughs) And about three months later, they started training me to become a paralegal. Um, that became my career and was my career for many, many years after that. And I made much, much more than I ever made as a teacher. Um, and eventually I was willing to open myself up to the possibility that there may be someone in the world who wanted to love me and wanted me to be a part of their lives and that there was someone out there with enough compassion and understanding and grace that they too would be able to see that there was more to me than just this awful choice I had made. Mm -hmm. And so once I had done the work on myself and was willing to open myself up to the possibility of being loved by another person, then that came too. Oh, I just, I love, I love so much of what you've said because you talked about like, you know, the, that you allowed this experience to define your future for a time that, you know, it's the way it's, it's not, it's, it's not only the story, but it's the way we describe ourselves, the way we define ourselves. And, and one experience, whether it's a, 
you know, a loss experience or it's, it's something that, that we've done that we regret or, you know, whatever it is, one experience does not define us, but we, we can allow that to happen. And, and I, you know, when you said that about like you're in the tunnel and there's no motivation, when you think all the road that you're on, no matter what you do is going to lead to misery, what is the motivation? Right. But when the, when the world opens up to possibilities, to possibilities that there, there could be more, then there's motivation to move forward because you're, because you, you can see, you can see color again. (laughs) You can, you know, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. And I, I love that what you said too, about the honest reflection that you did, where you, you really wanted to know, like, what in the world caused me to get to this place where this thing that now I see as, you know, not good that I thought that it was okay. You know, that kind of self-reflection, we, we all could use to do some honest reflection on, on the choices that we're making on, you know, why we do what we do. It really gives us clues to our, our subconscious and our, our thinking patterns that when we can, when we upgrade our stories, we upgrade our life. You know, when we upgrade our definition of ourselves, we upgrade our, our life and super important, super important. So tell us what you're doing today. Like what does life look like today? Cause obviously things got better. <laughs> much, much better. Um, so now I live in Colorado Springs, Colorado with my boyfriend of eight years mm-hmm. and um, our dog and our two cats who are our children. I swore I would never be one of those people who called my pets my children and there I just did it. <laughs> um, and I work as a life coach now. I I was able to see how much just this one statement from this one life coach changed everything for me. And I got to a point where I just really wanted to be able to do that for other women. And so I got certified in 2016 and I've been working as a life coach ever since then. And I really focus on helping women who, um, are struggling with their self-worth, struggling with their self-love women who are in a place like I used to be, who, keep dating the same man over and over again in a different body and they can't figure out why and um, think that it's all outside of them and they're just unlucky in love or destined to be alone forever. And I help them to look at the ways that they are defining their own selves, the way the stories that they are telling themselves about who they are and the relationships that are possible for them. And then um, eventually help them get out of their own way so that they can have the life and the relationship that they're dreaming of. Mm, that's awesome. So what, what do you tell people who, who are feeling like they've lost hope? They feel like they've lost joy in their life and they don't see a path to, to anything good in the future. I think there's a couple things. So something that was really powerful for me when I first started on this journey, I worked with a woman who, um, had undergone breast cancer treatments while she was also a single mother of two children. And um, she could really relate to a lot of the things that I was going through. And one of the things that she told me was like, stop trying to figure out how you're going to get through the next 10 years. Stop thinking about what the rest of your life is going to look like. Mm 
sometimes all you can do is get through one day and that's okay. And mm-hmm. sometimes all you can do is get through one hour and that's okay. And sometimes the most you can do in a day is get up and take a shower and that's okay too. And so that's the first thing is like, it's very easy for me to sit here and say like, oh, choose your thoughts, think something different. Everything's going to be great. But I think we also have to accept the fact that there are times that it's not going to be great and we're not going to be able to get out of bed and it's going to feel so incredibly heavy and consuming and terrible and that's okay. You don't have to know how you're going to get through the rest of your life. It's okay if you only know how you're going to get through the next 10 minutes. And I think, I just think it's so important that we give ourselves that grace when we're going through any kind of a grief process. And then the other thing I would say is that it's very difficult to do this work alone. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to see your story when you're in your story. Mm -hmm. It's very different to see yourself in a different way when you have been used to seeing yourself one way for so long. Like I spent so many years believing that I wasn't enough, that it was very, very hard for me on my own to step outside myself and go, well, maybe I am. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that is so important, I think, about having a coach is having someone who can hold that space for you and believe that about you while you're figuring out how to believe it about yourself. And that was huge for me too, was just having someone who was like, I can see how special and amazing and wonderful that you are. And I'm going to be here believing that until you believe it too. Mm, So I think that's a, that's a big one is not trying to do it on your own and not trying to do it just with the people who are going through it with you. Like if you have lost a child or your husband's had an affair or you've been fired from a job or something like that, and you're grieving that, There is something very powerful about staying connected to the people who are going through it with you because I'm certain I've never lost a child, but I'm certain that there is something that your husband could understand that no one else could, but also he's in it. Mm -hmm. And when you've just been laid off from your job, your coworker is in it still when you are you know, going through the process of grieving the loss of your marriage, your friends who have been with you through all of it, they're in it. So they're going to see it a lot differently than an independent third party who has no agenda, who has no horse in the race is going to be able to see it. Yeah. I, I, I love that, you know, because I think that we either, because the people that are, like you said, are in it with us are either trying to convince us to stay where we're at (laughs) or they're trying to talk us out of feeling the way that we feel instead of, instead of really offering tools that can, can help us to incrementally find that improvement, find that hope, you know, take that courageous step that we need to take. Yeah. And also giving us a space to just be where we're at. Because if you're having a day where you're feeling like pretty good about things and like maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel and it might be okay to smile and laugh again, 
and your husband's not having that day, (laughs) then that's going to be very difficult for you to allow yourself to be where you're at and vice versa. And so having that neutral third party gives you a place to just show up and be wherever you are that day. Absolutely. And I, I find that we learn so much in those discussions where we are in that day. Like it, it's interesting how just even little things that we're experiencing, how we can learn so much when we dive into just even the little things that can actually inform our hope, our courage, and our grief in the bigger moments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what, um, you know, as we're, as, as we're having this discussion, what does it look like to you? Like, what does grief recovery look like to you? What does it look like for you today? That question always makes me think of that meme that I'm sure, I don't know if it's a meme or graphic that I'm sure you've seen go around Facebook. That's like, here's a, picture of the grief process and it's like a perfect circle. And then it's like, here's my (laughs) grief process. And it's just like this big squiggle. Absolutely. Everybody's is a big squiggle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But then we look at the circle and we're like, what's wrong with me? Why am I not going in the circle? Because no one goes in the circle. That's why. Exactly. Um, And I think the, the phrase grief recovery is interesting because recovery to me seems like when you, it seems like very final, like you're in recovery from surgery and there's a point that you're going to be recovered Mm -hmm. and you will go on with your life. And I don't think we ever reach that point with grief. I don't think we ever reach a point where we're like, okay, I've grieved this loss. I've gone through the recovery period. Now I'm done on with my life. Um, it is still going to come up for you in the weirdest ways and at the most unexpected times. And you're going to have to give yourself grace for that too. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, another one of my big grieving processes was in high school. I was a graduate of Columbine high school and that shooting happened my senior year. And so, I mean, grief is hard enough when you're an adult, let alone when you're 17. Absolutely. Um, but now I'm 38 and there's still things that happen, still things that come up, still little reminders. And it's not like seeing things about Columbine on the news. It's like a balloon popping or the sound of a fire truck or something like that, that all of a sudden I'm back there 21 years later. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important for people who are just starting out or like in the midst of recovery to know is like, you're never going to reach a point where it's just gone and it never comes back. Mm -hmm. But you are going to get to the point where sometimes you can go through a day without thinking about it. And that's going to feel really big for you. And sometimes you can go through a week without thinking about it. And that's going to feel really big for you. Um, Because I remember right after Columbine, there wasn't an hour that went by that I didn't think about it. And now, 21 years later, I can go months without thinking about it. And so it does get easier. It does get better. But it never goes away. Mm -hmm. And it never, I don't think it ever completely heals. Yeah. Um, but we just figure out how to cope. We figure out how to manage our own minds and see 
how much control we have over our thoughts and how much control we have over our feelings. And then we get to decide rather than letting our minds and our emotions decide for us. And it becomes more manageable, I guess, is the best word. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and you, the, the fact that, like you said, nobody goes through this, you know, goes around the circle and it's not smooth. It's not a straight line. It's not a straight progression. It's, it's this wiggle line. We, as human beings, we're complex beings. We're complex. And so we have emotions that come up all the time. Like you said, like, you know, a sound or, or, or you see something that reminds you of a, a previous loss, you know, can take you kind of back to that place. So it is, a, it's a, it's a progression. It's a, it's a wave-like progression, yes, <laughs> a squiggly line progression. But if we don't get involved in our own healing, then it's not likely to happen. Yes. Yes. It's not, it's not just going to happen to us. It's like, how long does this take? Like, that's what I wanted to know. How long does, how long is this going to take? Cause I got places to be and <laughs> there's no like, okay, well you have grieved the loss of your husband for, I was actually just having this conversation with someone this week. And she said, I decided I was going to give myself a year. And then at the end of the year, I had to get back out there and start dating. And I was like, yes, cause that's how it works. Uh-huh. 365 days. That's all it takes. And then you'll be over the loss of your husband and ready to find a new one. And I think, yeah, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And it, it's not about putting the time in, like you're not going to work on it for 90 days and then be done. You're going to work on it until, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you're probably going to work on it some more. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I love that. Well, do you have any parting advice or that you, or thoughts that you'd like to share with us? Um, I think one of the big things for me was realizing that what had happened and the grief process that came afterwards did not negate everything that happened before it. Mm. And along those same lines, that the amount of your grief is not directly proportionate to, or like the length of your grieving process is not directly proportionate to the amount of your grief or the amount of love that you had for the person that you lost or something like that. Like I remember after Columbine, the first time I laughed, I felt so guilty. Like like, how dare I do that? And the fact that I was able to be happy must mean that I wasn't that sad to begin with and that it wasn't that big of a loss. And I think sometimes we feel like, especially when we have a significant death, it's like, when I stop being sad, that's somehow dishonorable to the person, or that somehow means that they weren't that important to us. And for me, something that was really big, going back to my first point, was like realizing that just because my teaching career ended the way that it did, and just because I made this really, really bad choice that hurt a lot of people, it didn't mean that I didn't do a whole lot of good the four years that I was a teacher before that. 
Like one does not cancel out the other. And I think that's important for people to know when they're grieving things like the loss of a marriage, especially if it ended because of like infidelity or something like that. It's like that doesn't take away anything that was good about that relationship before. That doesn't have to tarnish every memory that you have of that person. You can still remember your children when they were happy and you were happy and they were here, even though they're not anymore. That not everything that happened before this has to be defined by what happened after it. Mm, Such a good point. Such a good point. In fact, I, I, I just talked about that very thing. You know, when something, something really hard happens, we, we create such a, we have such a connection to it because it's so emotional. It's so, it's it becomes so huge that it almost becomes like a boulder in the way of looking back on positive memories on yes. good things that happened. Yeah. 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 And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. We, I appreciate your courage and telling your story and sharing what you've learned because that's so valuable when, when we have hard things happen and we, and we are able to, to learn from that and to find a way to create, you know, have that courage to rebuild and to create a life that you, that you love now you know, to, to be able to share that story gives so much hope to people. So really appreciate you sharing that with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I loved interviewing Melissa, hearing her story and hearing her courage to share her story and what happened. We definitely learn from each other. And so I'm just always so grateful for every guest and especially Melissa being so vulnerable in sharing her story. What a courageous woman with a brave heart. Also, remember, your support needs to be equal to your challenge. So, what is your support? What is your support? Who is helping you? As a grief coach, this is what I do. I support you as you navigate your grief. I support you and I give you tools And we work together like right where you are, right where you are. We work right where you are and we, we move the needle. We start to rebuild and we start to discover what is truly that you want in life. I will support you in that. I will support you in rebuilding. I will give you the tools and the attention to rebuild. Go to Build a Life After Loss to schedule a time for us to talk. Don't delay. Do it today. Do it today. My email is julie at buildalifeafterloss.com if you'd rather reach out to me that way. And remember to subscribe in your podcast app. And we would love, love, love to have you review the podcast and share it with your friends. Remember, I believe in you. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.